We're going to talk about that great God and his great word tonight. We're going to be in James chapter 1, beginning at verse 19. James chapter 1, beginning at verse 19. And as I shared earlier, tonight we're talking about the Bible and our relationship to the Bible. Going back to a couple weeks ago when we started this series on James, James is talking about a radical Christianity. At least to most would be a radical Christianity. And the reason God is calling us to a radical faith, to a radical Christianity, is so that you and I can experience, even in this life, all that God has for us, and so that we can shine as lights in this dark and broken world and make a positive impact for Jesus Christ in the world in which we live. And the way we do that is by allowing God to take us to places with him that we've never been before. That's why James started out in James chapter 1 talking about dealing with temptation, saying, consider it all joy when you fall into various trials. That's pretty radical. But James says, I want every believer to see That in the midst of our trials, if we surrender our trials and turn them over to him, God, he can strengthen us through those trials, even as difficult as they are. And then last week we looked at dealing with temptation and how we can rise above temptation and how we can say no to temptation and how we can be strong in the midst of temptation. Dealing with trials, dealing with temptation, I don't think then it's any accident that in chapter 1, in the context of dealing with trials and dealing with temptation, James now wants to introduce this long passage or this section ending chapter 1, talking to us about our right relationship to the Word of God. Because James is saying one of the ways that we're going to be able to stand up to the trials of life and stand up to the temptations of life is by being rightly related to the Word of God. When you and I have a healthy, vibrant, growing relationship with God's Word, it's going to equip us to be strong. It's going to equip us to deal with trials and temptations. And that's why this section then is included in the section dealing with trials and temptation. This is why I'm always encouraging folks to get into Bible studies. Read the Bible for yourself. Study it for yourself. But get into Bible studies. Grow in your understanding of the Word of God. Nothing will strengthen you in your walk with the Lord like the study of God's Word. And we're going to see that again tonight where James writes in James 1.19. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. He's including himself in here as well. Let every person be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger, for human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. And you say, well, Jeff, you said this passage was about the Bible. There's nothing in there about the Bible. Well, yes, there is. God begins by talking to us about our attitude as we approach the Bible and about our approach to the Bible, to the Word of God. And he starts out with our attitude and he simply says, we've all got to become better listeners and we've got to quit talking so much and quit being so angry because angry people aren't good listeners. But, and those who are always talking are not good listeners. And God has spoken. 
And God is speaking through His Word. And therefore, it behooves us to really develop the skill of listening. And I think there is a skill to listening. I I think there are some things that you and I can do to improve our listening. But I also think it's just as much an attitude of the heart as it is a skill to be developed. Now, also, before I get into that, you'll notice... James doesn't say that we should never speak, and James doesn't say we should never be angry. James just simply says, be slower to speak and slower to anger than we are quick to listen. And if you and I are truly going to gain from the revelation that God has given us, we need to be good listeners. I want to take us through some passages in the Old Testament in just a moment that talks about listening to God. But before I do that, let me follow it up with that idea that it's as much an attitude of the heart as it is a skill to develop. Because I believe that listening is connected to loving. You see, when I really love somebody, I'm zeroed in. I'm focused. I'm connected. If I love the person who's speaking to me, they've got my full attention because I love them. And so therefore, because I love them, I'm truly interested in what they're saying. And I know that's sort of convicting to us who, as Christians, say we love God. But I'll just use myself as an example. There have been times in my Christian life where my love for God wasn't what it should be because I really wasn't listening for God in my life and listening to God because I really wasn't loving God at that moment like I should. And yes, it's very possible, according to the Bible, for Christians to lose their first love. Read Revelation chapter 2 where Jesus writes a letter to an entire church at Ephesus and says, you have left your first love. I am no longer the love of your life. And when you and I lose our love for God, when our love for God is not burning as much as it should be, then when God speaks to us, we're not going to be as interested in listening because I guarantee you that at least in my life, those I love, I listen to. Listening is connected with the attitude of the heart of love. That's why Jesus could say, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Because he understood the connection between even love and obedience and paying attention and focus and listening. I want to take us back through some passages in the Old Testament tonight before we come back to the book of James that sort of supports and illustrates this whole concept of the importance of listening to God. I want you to go back to the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 3. After the first five books of the Bible, go through Joshua and Judges, and then go through Ruth, and then you'll come to 1 Samuel. Just to give you a little bit of a background here, and, and, and the author says this at the beginning, but God was not speaking a lot to the nation of Israel at this time in history. And the reason why he wasn't speaking 
is because as a nation, they weren't listening. And God is not a God who's going to waste his breath and waste his time speaking to a group of people that are not willing to listen to what he's got to say. I mean, he even transferred that kind of mindset over to his disciples when he sent them out and said, I want you to go and preach the gospel of the good news. But he says, if you go into a town and the people of that town don't want to listen to what you've got to say, shake the dust off your feet and go to a town where they will be interested in listening to what you've got to say. God never asked us as Christians to beat our head against the wall and to talk to somebody who's not interested in listening to what we've got to say because God's not that way. And God basically shut his communication down with the nation of Israel because he could tell at that point they wanted to do their own thing and they weren't ready to listen. And it goes right back to the fact that at that point they were rebelling against God. They were living in sin. They were living in idolatry. They had erected all these you know, idols and, and, and false worship centers instead of worshiping the one true and living God. So God cut off his communication. So it's with that backdrop that God now begins to speak again, and he's reaching out to this young boy, soon-to-be prophet Samuel. And sort of under the, the tutelage of the priest Eli is where we pick it up in 1 Samuel chapter 3. Now the boy Samuel continued serving the Lord under Eli's supervision. Word from the Lord was rare in those days. Revelatory visions were infrequent, and I just told you why. Eli's eyes had begun to fail so that he was unable to see well. At that time, he was lying down in his place, and the lamp of God had not yet been extinguished. Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord as well. The ark of of God was also there. And the Lord called to Samuel, and he replied, Here I am. That's a pretty good reply when the Lord speaks to you. But here's the problem. Samuel didn't know it was the Lord. Notice, he ran to Eli and said, Here am I, for you called me. But Eli said, I didn't call you. Go back and lie down. So he went back and lay down. The Lord again called Samuel. So Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But Eli said, I didn't call you, my son. Go back and lie down. And at this point, one of the two of them is thinking the other one's crazy. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. So he didn't even know what he should be listening for. I'm not faulting Samuel here as much as I am Eli. Eli should have known the voice of the Lord. Then the Lord called Samuel a third time. So he got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Eli then realized after three times that it was the Lord who was calling the boy. So Eli said to Samuel, go back and lie down. When he calls you, say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening, which was good advice that Eli gave to Samuel. So Samuel went back and lay down in his place, and the Lord did speak to Samuel. The point I'm making is this. God wants to speak to our hearts. He wants to speak into our lives and speak into our minds, but he wants us to know Or he wants to see that we are listening. Just like James says, that we are quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. And God wants us to live righteously, which in this world is to live pretty radically. And one of the radical things that God is calling us to is to be good listeners 
when God is speaking to us. And be ready listeners and be eager listeners. And love God so much that we can't wait to hear from Him. And that when maybe we haven't heard from Him, we are seeking to hear from Him. I even heard many of you tell me on the way in since last week, man, I'm hungry, Jeff. I'm I'm here again this week. I want to hear from God again. That's the attitude God's looking for. And because it was rare in those days, it's it's a a sad picture. It's not that God didn't want to speak to his people. It's his people weren't listening. And even when God did speak, they were like, well, did you call me? No, did you call me? And the sad thing is, even when God spoke, they didn't recognize God speaking to them. We've got to be careful that our relationship with the Lord is such that when God speaks to us, attempts to communicate with us, that we truly recognize it is God speaking to us, and then we're going to see what we do next. So that's, that's one passage. And then if you go over to 1 Kings chapter 19, just go through First and Second Samuel, and then you'll come to 1 Kings And then go over to chapter 19. Another thing about listening to God is this. Many times, and it's 1 Kings chapter 19 beginning in verse 11. Many times we make the mistake, or at least I have in my life, that I'm looking for God to speak to me in these big, bold ways. And I fail to realize that one of the principles the Bible talks about is the fact that God doesn't Many times speak in the big, bold ways. Sometimes he speaks just like he did to Elijah. Notice what 1 Kings 19.11 says. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. Look, the Lord is ready to pass by. A very powerful wind went before the Lord, digging into the mountain and causing landslides. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind storm, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, there was a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. After the fire, there was a soft whisper. And God was in the soft whisper. Not the fire, not the earthquake, not the wind. Many times I believe as a Christian, the reason we fail to recognize the voice of God in our life and And all of that is we're looking for God like Elijah in the wind and in the earthquake and in the fire of our lives. And he's whispering. And our lives are being lived at such a loud level that we are not hearing what God is trying to communicate to us. See, I've never come across any verse in the Bible where it says that God screamed or God yelled. I I don't ever see a verse of scripture that tells me that my God screams and yells. He's always under control. And when God wants to communicate to his children, instead of us always looking for God in the big events of life, and I'm not saying he's not in those either, but many times God is just in that soft whisper. Maybe in that word, through a passage we read, he whispered something to us. Maybe it was through the advice or counsel of a godly friend and God whispered 
to us. Maybe it was in a message from church. Maybe it was in a card. Maybe it was in a song. But God was whispering. And we need to walk so closely with God that we hear him when he whispers. Because too often we walk and follow God from a distance. And when he whispers, we can't quite hear what he's saying. God is in the whisper. One other verse, and then we'll go back to the book of James. Go with me to the book of Proverbs. To the book of Proverbs, chapter 10. There's a nugget, a verse in Proverbs 10 that goes right along with what James is saying about being quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. And it's Proverbs chapter 10, verse 19. Solomon writes in Proverbs 10:19 and this is a verse that other than the times that I'm teaching the Bible I really try to put in the forefront of my mind so I don't get myself in trouble It's a pretty wise saying when words abound transgression is inevitable but the one who restrains his words is wise Basically, the Bible says, the more you talk, Jeff, the more you're going to get yourself in trouble. Because eventually, you keep talking, and you're going to say something that you wish you could take back or regret. So, again, God never says not to talk. He gave us the ability to speak. And we know from the book of Proverbs that words are very powerful. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And so there are times and there are moments and there are things that God wants us to speak up and say into people's lives. No doubt about it. But God says, be better to listen first and speak second. And and it would be better and wiser to make sure that when we do speak that we don't just sort of, as we say, run off at the mouth and, and just like to hear ourselves talk, but that whatever we say, we say under the direction and, and power of the Holy Spirit himself. All right, enough of our tour of the Old Testament. Back to the book of James then, chapter 1. Listening. Listening is sort of the, the first attitude that I need to have to be rightly related to the word of God. God is looking for me listening to him and walking so close that I even hear him when he whispers to me. So put away, verse 21, all filth and evil excess and humbly welcome the message implanted within you which is able to save your souls. First of all, there's three comparisons or pictures in this passage of the Word of God. The Word of God is compared to a seed that is planted in the ground. The Word of God in a few verses is going to be compared to a mirror. And then the Word is described later on as the perfect law of liberty. Keep those three things in mind. We're going to go through all of them tonight and explain how we relate to each one of those. But notice here in verse 21, before we ever get to the seed part, he's also not only talking about the art of listening, he's talking about the art of preparation. He's saying that you and I as Christians, if we're truly going to get out of this garden, 
with all these wonderful fruits and vegetables and spiritual nourishment that God has prepared for us, we've got to prepare the soil of our own hearts. We've got to come to the Word of God having prepared ourselves to hear from God and to listen. Can I just say that as a pastor for 25 years, that's why you can talk to different Christians even who come to a church service everywhere across the country and listen to a pastor expound the word of God and they can go out and have two completely different reactions to the service that they were in. One can say, I didn't get anything out of that. And the other one's like, that's the best service I ever had in my life. And you're like, were they in the same service? Yeah, their body was in the same service, but maybe one of them wasn't really listening. And secondly, were they prepared to hear what God wanted to say to them? Because if we're not taking time to prepare ourselves and the soil of our hearts, then when the seed of God is thrown on our heart, it doesn't go in and truly plant in there and bring forth fruit. Worship and praise of the Lord and singing and all of this can stand on its own. It can stand alone. But one of the reasons, one of the reasons why we have times of worship before the word of God is opened is that hopefully if we haven't begun to prepare ourselves to hear from God before that, that at least we set aside on Sunday and Tuesday some time, some moments where we can prepare ourselves to hear from God. Because preparation is so important to getting everything that God wants us to get when he speaks to us. That's why, again, just my experience in church life, I have to chuckle, you know, at some of the things that I've seen over the years. I I used to have an office in New York where I could look out and see the parking lot and see the people pulling into the parking lot of our church and, and getting out and all of that. And just one example, one day I saw this family and you, you could just tell, I mean, the mom, the dad, the kids, they were just like, I mean, they were just in the car. I mean, you could see this. They're just like going at each other, right? Obviously not a nice Sunday morning of preparation. And then it's, and I don't, we're all like this. They pull into the parking lot. Someone greets them out in the parking lot. They all get out. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. And isn't it great to be at church? And how you doing? Oh, we're all doing great. Yeah, right, you're all doing great. You've all spent the last two hours of your Sunday morning at the house biting each other's heads off. Then you got in the car and you continued to bite each other's heads off. And now you get out of the car as if everything's okay and your heart's just where it needs to be. And you come into the church service and you wonder when you leave there why you didn't get anything out of it. Because God is saying here that not only is listening important, but preparation is important. And God wants us to understand that even when we open up the Bible at home and just read it for ourselves and study it for ourselves, that in order to get the most out of it, we should take a little bit of time to prepare ourselves, whether that's prayer, whether that's praise, whether that's worship, whether that's listening to Christian music. I'm not going to tell you what that preparation is. That's between you and God, and it might be different for every one of us because we're all unique creations. All I'm saying is the Bible teaches us the principle That preparation is so important in gaining from God's word. Why? Because the word of God is seed that is planted. So put away all filth and evil excess and humbly welcome the message implanted within you. 
See, the Bible teaches that the Word of God is seed that is planted. And God wants to plant that seed of His Word deep into our hearts and then have it bring forth fruit. That's why the Bible says in the book of Hebrews, the Word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, even to the joints and marrow. It is a discerner of the thoughts and even the intents of the heart. It goes deeper than anything else can. And that's God's intention for His Word. Because it cuts through all the muck and mire and gets to the heart of where it needs to get to so that it can truly bring forth the fruit that God intends. That's why the Word of God can get to places in people's beings and souls and hearts and minds that nothing else can get to. Because it's not a human device. It is the Word of God Almighty. And notice at the end of verse 21, he says that this word that's implanted within you is able to save your soul. Saying, I thought I was already saved. Yes, salvation, the moment we accept Christ, is a, is a, a moment in time decision. But we also have to understand that even though positionally at that moment our sins are forgiven and we, we have a personal relationship with Christ and yes, we're on our way to heaven that practically speaking, there's still a lot of battles to fight until we get there and enjoy the position that we had the moment we accepted Christ. And so what he's talking about here is he's talking about the deliverance because that's in essence what salvation is. It's deliverance. And it's not just being delivered at the moment I accept Christ from this guilt and from this weight of sin and all of that. It is being continually delivered even in my earthly life from those things that are holding me back from becoming all that God wants me to be. That's why Yes, salvation is a moment-in-time decision, but it also has continuing results and, and continuing things after that in order that we grow and mature and become more like God. And that's what he's talking about here. And that's why God wants to plant that word deep within our soul. In fact, keep your finger there in James and go back to the Gospel of Matthew for just a moment. Jesus talked about this very thing in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 13 when he began to talk in parables. And in Matthew chapter 13, I'm just going to begin at verse 18 with Jesus' explanation of the parable that he gave earlier. In Matthew chapter 13, verse 18, he says, So listen to the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches what was sown in his heart. This is seed sown along the path. The seed sown on rocky ground is the person who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. But he has no root in himself and does not endure when trouble or persecution comes because of the word. Immediately he falls away. The seed sown among thorns is the person who hears the word, but worldly cares and the seductiveness of wealth choke the word so it produces nothing. But as for the seed sown on good soil, this is the person who hears the word and understands. He bears fruit yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. The point that I want to make for tonight's message and along with tonight's message is simply this. There's nothing ever wrong with the seed. The seed is the same in every situation. 
Jesus is pointing out a very important principle. The reason the seed of the word of God makes a difference in some people's lives and not in others and makes a difference a hundred times over in other Christians' lives and only 30 times over in other Christians' lives is not because of the effectiveness of the seed because it's the same. It's the word of God. It's because of the condition of the soil of each person's heart when they hear the word of God, which goes along with what James is saying. Not only do we need to be good listeners, but we need to prepare our hearts to truly get the most when God is speaking to us. I'm anticipating a question from some of you tonight, which would be, then how do I, how do I prepare my heart? I mean, besides not arguing with my family on the way to church. I think the best way we prepare our hearts to hear from God is simply every time God is speaking to us, every time the Spirit is prompting us, every time we see something we should be doing that we're not doing, every time we read about something that we should avoid and we're not avoiding it, we're hardening our heart. Every time we say no to the Spirit of God, our heart can get hardened. And the more we say no, the harder the heart can get. And that's why even throughout the New Testament, the New Testament warns, today, if you hear the voice of the Lord, do not harden your hearts like the Israelites did. Because there is still the susceptibility of all of us to get a hard heart. And that's why there's some Christians. Yes, they're Christians. But they have long since turned their back on God, the church, reading the Bible, being involved in Christian service, prayer, and all that, because at some point in their life, God was speaking to them, and they started to say no. And over a period of time, the more they said no, the harder their heart became, to the point where their heart was as hard as a rock. And the best way that you and I can keep our hearts and the soil of our hearts plowed up and tender, if you will, and and. Uh, and ready for that seed to get in there and truly work is just every time God speaks to us and prompts us and talks to us that we respond in a positive, obedient way. That actually does just the opposite. That keeps our heart nice and tender and sensitive. The greatest thing that a Christian can carry with them through their Christian walk with God is a sensitive heart to the voice of God. If you have that today, Christian, don't lose that ever. Do whatever you can do to keep it as you continue to listen to God's prompting in your life. And if you're sitting here tonight and you're saying, I've lost it, there was a time I had it, there's a way to get it back. And that is even right now, whatever the Spirit of God is prompting you to do, urging you to do, calling you to do, just start obeying right now, whatever that is. And that heart can be broken up and that soil of your life can begin to be broken up by the Spirit of God and become tender and sensitive again to the moving of God. God wants to move amongst His people. God wants to move in our lives. But many times we prevent God's movement in our lives because of the hardness of our heart. That's why Paul said, do not grieve or quench the Holy Spirit of God. And I pray that every Tuesday that as we talk about God's word here, that none of us, including myself, would say no to God with what God wants to do in our lives or grieve or quench him in any way. That's what James is talking about. Listening, preparing, then verse 22, applying. But be sure you live out the message. 
and do not merely listen to it and so deceive yourselves. God wants us to be good listeners, but he doesn't want it to stop there. God doesn't want Christians to be spiritual sponges that go to all these Bible studies and soak up all this knowledge and never squeeze it out and get it out to anyone else. And we're going to see that in just a moment. And notice he says, when we just listen and when we attend all these Bible studies and we store up all this knowledge, but we never apply it to our lives, he says we get to the point where not only does our heart become hard, but we deceive ourselves. And the worst kind of deception is self-deception. When we think we're all right with God and we're really not all right with God. When God clearly says, I've always intended that my word not only be listened to and that you prepare yourself to hear from me, but that you apply everything that I'm teaching you. Verse 23, for if someone merely listens to the messages, does not live it out, he is like someone who gazes at his own face in a mirror, for he gazes at himself and then goes out and immediately forgets what sort of person he was. So James is compared the word of God to seed, and now he's comparing it to a mirror, and he's simply saying, how ludicrous would it be for me to stand in front of a mirror, see what needs to be corrected before I leave my house, see some things that need to be corrected, like, oh, there's something in there between my teeth. And then to see it, and then to leave without correcting it. He says that none of us, I hope, would do that. Maybe that's one of the reasons, though, why he used a man instead of a woman. I don't think a woman would stand in front of a mirror, see something that needs to be corrected, and not corrected. Maybe a man would. But he says none of us should stand before the mirror of God's word, have reflected back to us the things in our lives that we need to tweak or change or respond to or whatever, have God speaking to us through his word and then just leave and not apply it to our lives. And he says, when you and I fail to apply the word of God continually to our lives and daily to our lives, here's what happens. We become a forgetful hearer. That's why here's how you and I can test whether we're applying what we're hearing in church or not. This is not something that pastors like to do because it's humbling. But if a pastor spoke on something Sunday and the next Sunday handed out uh, a piece of paper and asked everybody at church the next Sunday, what did I talk about last week? What was my scripture reference? Uh, what was my subject? What were my main points? How many people could actually remember from week to week what the pastor spoke on? You see, if you and I aren't applying into our daily lives what we're hearing, then it is going to be very hard to remember what we're learning and what we're being taught. But if we're putting it into practice, if we're applying it to our lives, then I have no problem remembering because I've lived that message all week. I've taken what, what Pastor Lynn ha- has shared, and, and I lived it Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. So if he was to ask me next Sunday, hey, what did I speak about last Sunday? I could tell him because I applied it to my life. I lived it out. And that's what James says is so important. That we need to live out and apply continually and daily what God is teaching us from his word. Notice in verse 25, but the one who peers into the perfect law of liberty and fixes his attention there and does not become a forgetful listener, but one who lives it out, he will be blessed in what he does. First of all, James is saying by using the word peering and fixing his attention, it's a word in the original, it literally means I stoop down to get a closer look. That's a beautiful 
you know, it's like something beautiful catches my eye and I don't just walk past it. I, I, I stop and I stoop down to get a closer look at it. And God says that's what every Christian should do with his word. That instead of just reading it because I'm fulfilling my Christian duty and I need to put in my 10 minutes of time in the word in the morning before I go off to work and I I read this chapter quickly and then I go off not really knowing what I read or remembering what I read anyway. He says, wouldn't it be better to just stop even at one verse and stoop down And take a little bit closer look at that verse and at least figure out something in that verse that God is saying to me. And then take that with you throughout the day and apply it to your life. Wouldn't it be more impactful to your life and my life and other people's lives if we took one verse and truly grasped it and embraced it and applied it than reading two chapters and not knowing anything that we read? That's why I tell Christians all the time, when you start doing your personal devotions and you read through the Bible, take small chunks at a time. Don't think somehow that you and I are going to get some blue ribbon Bible award for, for reading five chapters a day if those five chapters have not become a part of our life. That's not the intent of the Word of God. The intent of the word of God is that God's word would get into us like a seed that is planted deep within our soul and that it would be something that we would apply to our life and change our life. Now, we, we can pretty much identify with the first description of the word of God, seed that's planted, and, and we can identify a little bit with the mirror thing. I get that. But something that may, the law of liberty, that just doesn't even seem like it goes together to describe the word of God. Because when I think of a law, I think of, I think of restraint. I don't think of freedom. And yet the Bible is teaching us here that the reason why God calls his word the law of liberty is because it is only by embracing God's law that I'm truly free. That's why Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. You see, freedom isn't the ability to be able to do whatever I want to do. Freedom from a biblical perspective, from God's perspective, is the freedom to become all that God created me to become. And the only way I do that is by being rightly related to the perfect law of liberty. Because every restraint that God does give in his law is only for my own good so that I can become all that he's created me to be. If it's something that's going to hold me back from being all that he created me to be, that's the only reason he tells me don't get involved with that or don't do that. And everything God tells me to positively throw myself into, it's because by using those avenues and those opportunities and all that, that's going to propel me and accelerate me to be all that he created me to be. And God says the only real liberty and the only real freedom is found in my law. Don't look at it as a restraint. Look at it as the vehicle to become all that God has meant for me to be. And stoop down and look closely. So we've talked about listening. We've talked about loving as part of that too because to me a lover is a listener We've talked about preparation and how important that is. We've talked about application. There's one more. And that's the concept of alignment. Or maybe even saying it this way, 
realignment. When we run our cars for so many thousand miles, we've got to take them in every once in a while and we've got to get the front end aligned or realigned. We've got to get our tires balanced because after so many miles, it needs balanced, it needs aligned. Well, when you and I expose ourselves to God's word, when we allow God to speak to us, there's going to need to be some aligning going on because God's going to say, I, I need you to, to pay attention to this over here. And so if we're dead set, no, I'm going down this road, and God's word is saying, no, move over here, then I need to be willing to align myself with where God is leading me. And since I'm supposed to be an obedient sheep, when my shepherd tells me to go this direction, I should follow. That's why James ends this passage this way. If someone thinks he is religious, yet does not bridle his tongue, and so deceives his own heart, his religion is futile, first of all. Religion and being religious has gotten a bad rap in church. Because being religious and religion is actually a biblical term. And God wants us to be religious in this way. Religion that we define negatively is usually defined by a set of rules or by adhering to certain rituals. And that's not what God means when he uses the word religion or being religious here. In its essence, the word religion and being religious speaks about letting the reality of what God is doing deep inside of me manifest itself outwardly and externally. That's an, the word religious, literally external. You see, that's why those folks who say, my relationship with God is just a personal matter between me and God, that's not a biblical statement because God wants his children to be religious in the sense that he wants our life to go public as a Christian. He doesn't want us to keep our faith to ourselves. He wants us to manifest our life with him outwardly to others and to make a positive impact on them. That's what Jesus meant when he said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father who's in heaven. If we're called the light of the world, then we've got to let our light shine. And Jesus says, you don't put a light under a bushel so that people can't see it. You light up the room. And God wants us to light up our community, to light up our school, to light up where we work, to light up where we worship. He wants us to be lights everywhere we go and to go public and external with our faith. That's what religious means. But notice what James says. He says that external impact on others is not going to have the impact it should if I don't bridle my tongue, yet I think I'm religious. In other words, I can go around as a Christian thinking, yeah, God's using my life. There's hundreds of people out there changing for eternity because of me. And then I go around every day, all week, slandering people, gossiping about people, being critical of people, telling dirty jokes, talking behind people's backs. And simply what James is saying is, whoa, 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 whoa. I commend you for wanting to make a positive impact on those around you. But key word, positive impact. And, and if you think you're religious and that somehow your faith is making a big difference and a big dent in all these people around you, 
and yet you're tearing down all those around you by what your tongue is saying throughout the week, don't you realize your religion is futile? In other words, they're not going to want to have anything to do with your faith. You're going to, you and I are going to turn them off more than turn them on to Jesus. We're going to be one of those Christians out there in the world that, that those who don't know Jesus yet are going to go, if that's what a Christian's like, I don't want any parts of it. And that's why James says, we've got to align our lives with where God is shining his light. And so often, we're majoring over here on this, and God is saying, isn't it more important that you look at this? Won't that make more of a difference and that we realign ourselves with what God thinks is important? Which is why he goes on in verse 27 to say, pure and undefiled religion. You want to make an impact in this world? And everything we do, he says, also is before God the Father, which is a sobering thought. But he says, pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this, to care for orphans and widows in their misfortune and to keep oneself unstained by the world. You want to make an impact in this world, he says, then care for those who can't care for themselves, who no one else is caring for, who, who are the outcasts of society. He says, care for them, and you will be surprised. Your religion, your faith will make more of a dent, more of an impact in this world than you could ever imagine if you just live a life where you're caring for others as God would care for them. The Bible says God is a father to the fatherless and he looks out for the widow, but he uses us as his hands and feet. A couple of verses tonight I want to go back to. Go back to the Gospel of Matthew. To Matthew's Gospel, chapter 23. Jesus ran into this problem in his day where the religious leaders of Israel... We're making these things a priority. And when God was speaking to them, trying to get them to align themselves a different way and to look at things differently, they didn't get it. And they were majoring on minor things and they were minoring on major things. And Jesus, again, is one last time trying to speak into their life saying, I'm trying to get you to realign your life because your life is out of line. And I'm just going to read one passage out of this whole chapter that basically talks about this. Matthew 23, beginning at verse 23. 23, 23. Woe to you experts in the law. You see, they had all this up here in their head. But were they really listening? Had they prepared their heart? Were they really applying and aligning God's word to their life? Because he calls them hypocrites. He says, you give a tenth of mint, dill, and cumin... Yet you neglect what is more important in the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have done these things without neglecting the others. Blind guides, you strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. Jesus says, look, I want you to listen. I need you, Jeff, to prepare your heart. I need you to love me enough to listen. I need you to apply what I'm telling you. And then when you take my word in, realize it's going gonna, it's gonna to tweak your life a little bit. It's going to change. You're going to have to come in for a realignment every once in a while. Can I just tell you that for me, that realignment is probably a daily thing. <laughs> every time I study the word of God, it's like, yeah, I've got to realign a little bit over here. 
Then the next day, eh, i got to go a little bit over here. God is always aligning because he wants us to respond. God always meant his word to be responded to. God doesn't speak to human beings and not expect a response. He expects a response from his people when he speaks to them. And he's saying to the religious leaders, you're majoring on things that really, to me, aren't that important. Realign your life with what is more important. And don't keep straining at the gnats and swallowing the camels. And then, going along with caring for orphans and widows, I love this passage. Go over to the Gospel of Luke. To Luke's Gospel, chapter 14. One of my spiritual mentors years ago, before he died, had a ministry. He called this ministry the Mark 14 ministry. And he basically applied these verses weekly to his life. Here are the verses. Luke 14, verse 12, 13, and 14. And these go along with caring for orphans and widows for those who cannot maybe care for themselves. He said to the man who had invited him, when you host a dinner, this is Jesus talking, or a banquet, don't invite your friends or brothers or relatives or rich neighbors so you can be invited by them in return and get repaid. Now, first of all, please, he's not saying don't have friends over anytime or don't have your family over, but here's what he's really saying. That at times... When you host an elaborate meal, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. Then you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Jesus says, are you serving me for your sake or for my sake? Because many times I think Jesus looks at our lives and the way we serve him and minister for him and says, Are you doing that for you or are you doing that for me? Are you serving in that way because you need to be needed? Are you serving them because you know that they're going to reciprocate and serve you in some way back? Are you doing that because of what you can... Are you serving me for your sake or your own sake? And that's why Jesus said, you know what would be cool? To purposefully, to intentionally go out And find somebody that you can serve. And you know because of where they're at in life that there is no way they could ever repay you in any way. Other than maybe say thank you. And sometimes we don't even get a thank you. But again, Jesus is saying if you're serving me and not them, then you're doing it for me anyway. You're not doing it for them. So this gentleman that was one of my spiritual mentors He would find somebody in our community every week that fit that bill. I mean, most of the time, total strangers. Just people that he could take out for a meal and spend an evening or an afternoon with and just show them some kind of love and care at some point in their life. He knew he'd never get anything back. He would never be invited to their home because they didn't have a home to invite him to. But he called it his mark. 14 ministry. And the reason I thought about that passage in Luke 14 was because of what James said. Pure religion and undefiled before God is to care for orphans and widows and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Jesus said when you cut through all the muck 
That's what really matters. Just living a life of loving on others and not doing it because of what we gain out of it or what we can get out of it, but simply because we love and care about the people that God loves and cares about. You'll notice at the end of verse 14 too that Jesus says, you'll be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Which reminds us, many times I've said this to Christians, don't forget that your greatest rewards, your best blessings are being reserved for you in eternity in heaven where you and I can enjoy them forever and ever. If God was to give us our best rewards and our best blessings down here that when we die or when the rapture happens, we'd have to leave them behind. And it's not that God doesn't want to bless. It's not that God doesn't reward us down here. He does. But it just reminds us that he's saving his best blessings, his best rewards for when we get to heaven so that we will have all of eternity to enjoy it. Sort of cuts against the grain of those who teach that somehow God's best is to be enjoyed here. No, according to Jesus, God's best is yet to come at the resurrection of the righteous. So James has talked to us about being rightly related to the word of God and how important the word of God should be in our lives. I want to leave you with one other passage as we close tonight. Psalm 119. Psalm 119 is the longest psalm in the Bible. And very significantly, it is a psalm all about the Bible. All 176 verses are applied to the Bible. I think that shows us that the biggest book in the Bible, the book of Psalms, and the biggest chapter in that book, Psalm 119, is devoted to the Bible. And I want to just read a part of Psalm 119 that I think sort of leaves us, I hope, with some encouragement tonight as we leave here in our relationship to the Word of God, beginning at verse 89. Psalm 119, verse 89. I can do this in two minutes. O Lord, your instructions endure, they stand secure in heaven. You demonstrate your faithfulness to all generations. You established the earth and it stood firm. Today they stand firm by your decrees, for all things are your servants. If I had not found encouragement in your law, I would have died in my sorrow. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have revived me. I belong to you. Deliver me, for I seek your precepts. The wicked prepare to kill me, yet I concentrate on your rules. I realize that everything has its limits, but your commands are beyond full comprehension. Oh, how I love your law. All day long I meditate on it. Your commandments make me wiser than my enemies, for I am always aware of them. I have more insight than all of my teachers, for I meditate on your rules. I am more discerning than those older than I, for I observe your precepts. I stay away from the evil path, so that I might keep your instructions. I do not turn aside from your regulations, for you teach me. Your words are sweeter in my mouth than honey. Your precepts give me discernment. Therefore, I hate all deceitful actions. Your word is a lamp to walk by and a light to illumine my path. Let's close in prayer. God, thank you for your word. God, I pray that we would have the attitude of the psalmist, that we love your your word. We meditate on it all day long. 
And God, that we want to be rightly related to your word. Because by being rightly related to your word, we can stand the trials of life and the temptations of life. As we listen to you, out of our love for you, as we prepare our hearts to have that seed of your word planted deep within. As we apply, Lord, each and every day what you are teaching us. And as we align our lives to the things that are important to you rather than the things that may be important to us. God, help us to hear, even tonight, that soft whisper of your voice in our lives. And help each one of us to respond in a positive way, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.